Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're in Mark chapter 6 today. I'm going to do a two-week series, so it's going to start today and finish next Sunday. That's a short one, right? It's called Anchor, Stability Through Any Storm. We're going to look at two different stories, one where Jesus walked on the water and one where he calmed the sea. We're going to look at the one where he walked on water today. Um, I wish I could tell you that as a follower of Jesus, you're not ever going to have any problems, but I think you would know that I would be lying through my teeth if I said that. Uh, Life is difficult for everyone, even believers in Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus, I can assure you of this, that when you go through a storm, you're not alone, that you have Him with you. And I want to tell you something, what I have learned, that makes all the difference. I want you to know today as we look into the Scriptures that God is watching, He knows what you're going through, that He's available, He's a prayer away, and that He cares even when we can't see uh, his, His handiwork around us. There's a neat quote I found this week, and it's an unknown quote. I don't know who to give credit to, but it says, The storms of life prove the strength of our anchor, and that is so true. I pray today that your anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that anchor for the soul. So let's look, if we will, in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 41. I'm going to kind of run up to it. Um, The story we're going to look at is in the context of another story. And the, the, the context story is when Jesus fed the 5,000. You remember that? That is one, one miracle that Jesus did that's in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, I'll pick up in the middle of that, Mark 6, verse uh, 41. It says that Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. That's all the food that was available to feed this whole crowd. He took them, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Now think about that. 5,000 people, scholars believe it could have been as much as 20,000 because they were just counting the men. So by the time you factor in women and kids, it could have easily been 20,000 people that were gathered to hear Jesus teach and preach. And the day grew long and it was time to go home and they hadn't ate. And Jesus didn't want to send them away hungry or hangry, right? And so uh, they went looking for food and all they had was a, you know, a little boy sack lunch, if you will. They had this... uh, Five, uh, five loaves and two fish. And what did Jesus do? He took that and he committed it to the Father and it multiplied and it fed everybody. It says that everyone ate and was satisfied. And verse 43 goes on, they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, isn't that something? They had so much. Everybody that was hungry was full and they still had 12 baskets of leftovers. That is a lot of leftovers. And then it says in verse 44, Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men, 
And then in Mark's typical fashion, if, you, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, when you read it, it's like a, it's like a fast-moving video. He likes to use the word immediately a lot. And so now he's on to the next thing in the next verse. Immediately, uh, he, referring to Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray, and well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them, referring to the disciples, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. What a peculiar ending there that Mark says that they were completely astounded. They didn't understand the loaves. He goes back to the feeding of the 5,000, the loaves. And then he says their hearts were hardened. So clearly, Mark is putting these two stories together. Let's go back and look at this story again, because I want to tell it uh, this time with with the understanding of what the other gospel writers give us. For example, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus sent the disciples by boat to cross to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. You might go, why? Why did he do that? Well, John gives us the answer. In John 6, it says that, uh, verse 12, when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. Isn't it great that God doesn't waste anything? Okay? He uses what little we give him, and then he says, oh, we're not going to waste this. We're going to take what's left, and we'll we'll use it too. You know, it'll be eaten at some point. We're not going to waste it. And so they collected them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, think about the crowd of 5,000. When they saw what he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So John, John has this refrain in his gospel. When, when you're going through the gospel of John, you read it, and there's two or three times it'll say that his time had not yet come. Like at the wedding in Cana, when they ran out of wine, and his mom says, do whatever he tells you. And he goes, my time hadn't come. But he takes the water and he turns it into wine. Now here's another time where he does such an astounding miracle that the people are like, "Ah, let's make him our king. We'll we'll, we'll cast off the burden of Rome and, you know, he can be our guy. He can take care of us. He can feed us. He's going to be our leader. And Jesus, knowing them, what their hearts were thinking, he says, "Uh uh-uh. And he dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples to the other side of the lake and he immediately goes up the mountain to pray, and apparently he prays most of the night talking to his father. You see, Jesus had a sense of God's timing in his life. Just because he had an opportunity didn't mean he should take it. He sought the Lord, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? These people wanted to make him king. 
and he he shut it down very quickly. He didn't want anybody to force him to do anything. So he dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples to the other side of the lake. He retreats and he prays most of the night on the mountain seeking his father. What about the next turn in the story? While Jesus is praying on the mountain, the disciples are struggling with the wind in the middle of the sea. The Bible says around the Fourth watch of the night. I believe if you're reading King James, it says fourth watch of the night. What is the fourth watch of the night? It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., okay? Somewhere in that time frame. But during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea, and he wanted to pass them by. Did you catch that in the, in the story there in verse 48? Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea, and he wanted to pass by them. What a peculiar thing to do, right? Why is Jesus taking all the time and trouble to walk on the water, which we'll talk about that in a minute, and then act like he's going to pass them by? What in the world is going on here? Well, Jesus is not trying to be silly, and he's certainly not trying to scare them. He tells them, tells them take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. What is what? What does this mean? Well, the term pass by, when it's connected to divinity, refers to an epiphany. Epiphany is when, when God reveals himself to someone. And there's a couple of instances that you might be familiar with in the Old Testament. If you remember Moses one time, he asked uh, God, he says, God, show me your glory, okay? And uh, that is recorded in Exodus 33, 21. And the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, did you catch that? Same language, same phrase. When, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice or the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. And so he saw a glimpse of God's glory when he passed by. Then there's another well-known story. Remember Elijah? After he hears that Queen Jezebel is going to kill him, he, he begins to run and retreat, and he goes all the way to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he finds the mountain, there's a cave there, and he goes into that, that cave, and he's just, he's exhausted, he's scared, he's He's frustrated, and he enters that cave. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 19, 9, suddenly the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. Did you catch that? Same word, same terminology, same concept. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountain, and it was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper, a still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, 
he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Why? Because God's glory was passing by. And so here are the disciples. They've just witnessed this amazing miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few pieces of bread and fish. And now the crowd has this idea, he's the prophet that's supposed to come to the world. Let's make him king. And Jesus shuts that down. Y'all go home, you're full now. And he puts them in the boat and sends them across the lake. And in a New York minute, Jesus is gone. He's vanished. Why? He's climbing the mountain. He's seeking his father. He's praying all by himself alone. And it's dark. And the hours keep ticking. Midnight, one, two, three, and who knows how much longer. And in that stillness and darkness of the night, as he's on the mountain praying and seeking the Father, the disciples are out there in the middle of the lake, and they're struggling. I wonder at this point if they've even forgotten what Jesus did. Like, where is he? Like, we sure could use him right now. And then Jesus shows up. And he goes to pass by. Why? Because he wants to reveal more of who he is to them. And that's what's beautiful about this twist in the story. Mark 6 verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and he said, Have courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Now, here's something that our English Bibles don't capture, okay? In the original language, in the Greek, when it says, it is I, he says, ego eimi, which means I, I am. It's a double emphatic. If you read the, the Gospel of John, there's seven times where he uses ego in me. I am. I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the living water. I, I am the gate, okay, that people go through to come to God. Uh, ego in me. I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when Jesus says it is I in their native vernacular, he's saying, I, I am here. And even though that may not mean anything to you, if you know your Bibles, you know that he's saying he's the Lord. Because if you remember Moses and his encounter with God at the burning bush in the Old Testament, and God begins to say, take off your shoes, Moses, you're on holy ground. I'm going to send you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he's making every excuse in the book. And then finally, when Moses you know, is kind of resigned to the fact that you know, God wants me to do this, I guess I'll do it. Then he says, hey, wait a minute, God. What do I say when they ask me who sent me? He says, you tell them my name. I am that I am. And so when Jesus is about to pass by on, uh, walking on the sea, first of all, who walks on water? No mere mortal can. No man can. God can. And so Jesus is walking on the water. That's a clue. And then he says, Ego me, I, I am. Hello. Jesus is God. He's God's one and only Son. There is the revelation right there. And they are terrified. Now don't judge them. 
If you were in their shoes, you would probably have done the same thing. I know I would have. I would have been so caught up in the moment, I'd be like, what is going on? And so they were terrified, and he assures them, have courage. I, I am, it's me. Don't be afraid. Matthew, thankfully, gives us the, the rest of the story that we're used to hearing, and only Matthew tells it in Matthew 14. Verse 27, it says, Immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And this is where Peter jumps in. You know this part. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I don't know if he thought about what he said or not. You know, Peter, a lot of times he just said what was in his mind, in his heart, and he thought about the ramifications after the fact, right? But he said, ah, Lord, if it's you, let me come out there. And, you know, he did. Jesus said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, you're getting the same story told from a different person that has a different angle on it. But, you know, after seeing Jesus walk on water, nobody can do that. And hearing him say, I I am, it clicked. And then when Peter says, Lord, save me, and he does, by the time they get in the boat, they go, truly, you are the Son of God. You're more than the prophet that's supposed to come into the world. You are the Son of God. And that's Matthew's contribution to the story. As we continue this story, you know that Jesus entered the boat and the very moment he entered the boat, what happened? The wind ceased. It stopped. And they were completely astounded, according to Mark's uh, account, because they didn't understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. And you might say, why? Well, they were afraid. There were things they didn't understand. And let's be honest, Jesus can do things that we don't always expect him to do here we are we're seeing jesus teach to a huge crowd of people and then he says well we need to feed them before they leave and the disciples are like lord what are you talking about there ain't no restaurants around here nobody's got any food with them what do you mean feed them there, there's not even not even a year's worth of wages probably could feed them well go go see what you can find and they basically find a little boy with a sack lunch and they go here you go but you know, little is much when God's in it and God takes what they have and the Lord breaks it and blesses it and all of a sudden it's multiplied and that one little lunch feeds a multitude of people. And he reveals himself through that miracle as only God could do that. And while they're still pondering that and they're conflicted with the tension of, you know, is he the prophet come to the world? Do we need to make him king? Because they heard the rumblings of the crowd. That's why Jesus shut it down and separated them. You go over there and y'all go home. And now they've had all night to think about it. 
some of these disciples are fishermen. If there's one thing they're familiar with, it's being out in a boat on water, and yet they're rowing and they're rowing and rowing against the wind, and they're not getting very far. They're not going anywhere. They make it halfway across the lake, and then they just stall. And then here comes Jesus, and He reveals more of Himself and His glory. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the scene illustrates the situation of God's people today. We're in the midst of the stormy world, toiling and seemingly ready to sink, but He is in glory interceding for us, and when the hour seems the darkest, He will come to us, and we will reach the shore. I want to give you three assurances today that you and I can have when we experience a storm. The title of this message is Before the Storm. You know, you and I will go through storms in life. And there's certain things we need to think about before a storm happens. So that when we experience a storm, we have the assurance that these things are true. Number one, you're never out of God's sight. You're never out of God's sight. You know, Jesus knew exactly where they were. He knew exactly what was going on. He sent them ahead of, me, of, of himself. And he knows they're in their boat. He knows they're crossing the lake. And I would even go so far to say he knows what they're going to experience and encounter. But he sends them across the lake while he's on the mountaintop praying. And he knows exactly what they're going through. His eye is on them. Matter of fact, in verse 48 of Mark 6, it says that he saw them straining at the oars. From his vantage point, from his perch on the mountain, he knew they were out there and he knew they were struggling against this wind. I want to tell you, you're never out of God's sight. Proverbs 15.3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. He sees it all. But thankfully, we're told in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. What does that mean? That means God is looking throughout the world to show himself strong to those who are sold out to him, who are trusting him, who are depending on him, who are following him. And he gives us that strength. God sees we're never out of his sight there's a second truth i want you to know when it comes to a storm you're never out of god's reach here are the disciples in a boat in the middle of the lake in the middle of the night and they're having a hard time rowing against the wind and the waves so much for jesus where's he at he's on land if he was limited like we are how are you going to help them when they're out there and you're right here? But Jesus is more than a man. He's the God-man. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. What does He do? He walks on the water out to them. You see, you're never out of God's reach. Paul told young Timothy in the ministry, he said in 1 Timothy 2, 1, First of all, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings, for all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good 
and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, we should pray for everyone because God wants to save everyone. Amen? And so we ought to do that. We're never out of God's reach. He is able to save them. Matter of fact, Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Look, I am the Lord. The God over every creature is anything too difficult for me. Is there anything too difficult for God? If God needs to part the Red Sea so His people can cross on dry land to be safe from the Egyptians, He can do it. If, if, if God needs to close the, the mouth of the lions when, when uh, Daniel's in the lion's den, He can do it. If, if God needs to, um, to send His Son who walks on the water to ultimately still the storm and, and get in the boat with the disciples, He can do it. There's nothing he can't do. He's all-powerful. He's, he's God. I like what Paul said to the uh, Athenians in uh, Athens, Greece in Acts 17. He said, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. And he did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God's not far from any of us. He's just a prayer away. All you have to do is cry out, just like Peter did, Lord, save me. And he'll answer that simple, sincere prayer. He has for years. There's a third thing I want you to realize when it comes to experiencing a storm. You're never out of God's sight. You're never out of God's reach. And number three, you're never out of God's care. Look at Mark 6, 41, or 49, excuse me. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage. It is I, I, I am. Don't be afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were completely astonished. John adds another layer to this miracle, a miracle within the miracle. In John 6, 20, he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him on board. And at once, the boat was at the shore where they were headed. Think about that. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, says, as soon as we took him on board, we were there. How'd that happen? Well, how did the rest of it happen? God knows. God's in control. God can do anything. I want to tell you that when you have Jesus with you, he can get you where you need to go. And Jesus got him across the, the lake to the other side, to the shore. I want you to remember something today. God loves you. He cares for you. He sees what you're going through. He, you're never out of His reach. He's a, he's a prayer away. And He cares for you. God's timing is not always our timing. I mean, they probably wanted His help long before the, the fourth watch of the night. But when they were at their weakest, when they were at their most de desperate, He shows up to reveal Himself by letting His glory pass by. Who in, 
who, who in the world would think, here's Jesus walking on water. And then he gets in the boat. The wind completely stops. You're never out of God's sight. You're never out of God's reach. You're never out of God's care. God is all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-powerful. And that means because you're never out of His sight, He hasn't forgotten you. You're never out of His reach. He hasn't abandoned you. And you're not, never out of His care. That means He doesn't stop loving you. I want to encourage you today. When you look at the story, what is God trying to say to you in your life? Have you come to that place where you realize who Jesus is? I tell you what, when you read the Bible, it doesn't take long, especially when you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that you'll realize this Jesus is not a typical Jewish carpenter. He's more than a man. He's more than a rabbi. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He can heal the sick. He can give the blind sight. He can raise the dead. He can feed the multitudes. He can walk on water. There's nothing He can't do. Why? Because He's the Son of God. Do you know Him this morning? Has there ever been that moment in your life when you go, man, now that I know who Jesus is, now that I realize what He's done, I know that I need Him in my life. I want to tell you something. You're not out of His sight. You're not out of His reach. You're not out of His care. Today, maybe God's speaking to you. And maybe you realize for the first time that you need Jesus in your life. Look at who He is. Look at what He's done. Will you receive the free gift of eternal life? You know, I say this every week, but I'll say it again. The good news is that God became man. And He lived the life in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that you and I should have lived, but haven't. And He died the death that you and I deserve. He died in our place. On the third day, He rose from the dead, proving that He is who He claimed to be. He's the Son of God. And now He offers the gift of eternal life to anyone who's willing to come to Him. You know, a gift is something you can't buy or earn. It's something that's merely received. Will you receive Christ into your life today? That's my prayer. As we stand, as we pray, as we enter into a time of invitation, it's my prayer right now that God will speak to your heart and you'll do simply what He wants you to do. Father, we come before you right now. Thank you for this time in your word. Lord, thank you, Father, for showing us this revelation that you, you are the Son of God. You're the one that can feed the multitude. You're the bread of heaven that came down to earth to give your life for the world. And Father, you're saying, come unto me. Come unto me. And so, Father, I pray we'll come to you today. I pray, Father, if there's someone here that's never put their trust and faith in you, Lord, that today would be that first step that they take to turn from their life and to trust and follow you. And Father, I pray for all believers this morning. Lord, may we be reminded that you are in control of the storm. That sometimes you send us into the storm. But just because you're absent doesn't mean you're not present. You're there with us. You see us. You're available and you care. And at just the right moment, 
you show yourself, you reveal yourself that you were there the whole time and you bring us safely across the lake and to the other side. Lord, thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, I pray that your will be done during this invitation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.